You know, mentorship comes from some pretty odd places sometimes. There have been moments in my life that, at the moment, didn't seem real significant, but I look back and really shaped my development. It, it shaped my discipleship. It shaped my ministry. I had one of those moments back in around 2001, 2002, at the hands of a guy named Rick Stanley. We had moved to West Virginia. Lori and I had uh, kind of taken our first full-time ministry job in West Virginia. We didn't know anybody moving into, into this little town called Parkersburg. And the closest relative, closest friend that we had was probably anywhere from six to six and a half, seven hours away. Closest family member. Lori's parents at that time were living in Memphis. Mine were living in Denver, Colorado. And so here we are. In this place that we never prayed for necessarily, we prayed for ministry, we, we prayed for a place, didn't know we would be going to West Virginia, but God used Kay and Rick Stanley to shape my life, to shape my ministry, didn't know it at the time. Rick was a big sports fan and he found out pretty quick that I was, and he came to me and he said, hey, one of the things I love to do is I love to get to know the, the minister staff. I love to get to know you guys. And one of the ways I do that is that I do that by taking you to football games. And I thought, okay, I'm in. So he said, I've got season tickets to West Virginia over in Morgantown, and I would love for you to go with me in one. And so um, just look at the schedule. You got first dibs. I didn't know anything about West Virginia football. I didn't really know anything about Big East football. I'm an SEC guy, right? I'm a Kentucky fan. And, and so I kind of looked down the schedule. And at this time, for some of you, you might remember this. It's not really important. But I looked down and I saw that number one at the time, number one ranked Miami, Ken Dorsey's team, uh, was on the schedule. And I thought, well, there you go. If I'm going to go endure West Virginia, I'm at least going to see the number one team in the nation. So I said, Rick, I'll take, I'll take Miami game. He said, I knew you would. And then the next year, it was really cool. I got to see, at that time, number 18, Pitt play, which is the backyard brawl, Larry Fitzgerald. It's really cool. So we had some great moments. So he comes to pick me up early that morning, and I get in the car. And in the car, set on my side, was a little bag. Kind of looked like this. And he said, if you're going to live among us, and if you're going to love on us, you're going to be a part of us, then there's something in this bag that is vital, it's important, and it starts here. And I thought to myself, oh, goodness, what in the world is in this bag, right? So I was like, okay. So I put it in the floorboard. He goes, no, no, no. Before we go anywhere, you got to open it up because, again, if you're going to live among us, you got to learn to embrace something very important. So I was like, okay. So I pull this out, and I'm like, oh, a shirt. And I look at it. And I said, oh, Rick, that's nice. He goes, no, no, no. That's for your, you to wear today. I went, well, you know, I'm a UK fan. I mean, I went neutral. Isn't that good enough? Like, no. I was like, all right, well, I'll put, he goes, no, we don't move until you put the shirt on. That's the deal. I said, well, I'll put it on when I get, no, we do not move until you put the shirt on. I was like, like right, like right here. Yep, put it on. So I put the shirt on, and away we went to Morgantown. And what I experienced over the next few hours was awesome. I got to see number one Miami. Like I said, the year after that, I got to see, and I wore the same shirt because I definitely wasn't going to buy two shirts. And so every, every year, that's what we would do. 
And it was this great experience. And I remember even learning the chant. And, and even today, I still check the West Virginia scores to see if my friend Rick in West Virginia is celebrating. But here's what Rick taught me. Rick taught me that loving people, being in relationship with people, influencing people, having some sort of impact potentially on people's lives will not only require me to look beyond the t-shirt, it may require me to wear the t-shirt. And in that moment, see, I was willing to go to the game and look beyond a bunch of West Virginia fans that I really didn't have a dog in the fight, so I didn't really care. I just wanted to see good football. But he taught me something. He says, it's not just about looking beyond the West Virginia t-shirts when you'd rather be wearing a Kentucky shirt, except for today, I don't want nothing to do with blue. But he said, sometimes it's going to require you to put on the t-shirt. So I got to thinking this week, what is it that keeps us from, from loving people the way God has called us to love people? What is it that maybe keeps us from interacting with people? What is it that keeps us from maybe helping people or in the context of the series? What is it that keeps us from sharing grace, sharing these moments that Rick and I so beautifully got to share together over the next several years? And, and that really was just the setup for this great relationship where, again, he taught me so much about ministry and people that still shapes and molds some things I do today. But I thought, what is it that really keeps us? And so I began to just think through my own life. I began to think through social media. I began to think through interactions that I see. I began to think through everything that is culturally going on right now. And I really kind of narrowed it down to three or four things. And I think you're going to identify with this. And Paul talks about this. It's almost like today's text. It's almost like Paul in some way had, a, had this like vision of 2018. So here's what I came up with. Number one, I think that what keeps us from loving people sometimes, interacting with people, helping people, being gracious to people, comes down to number one, geography. We're not from the same place. You bunch of northern transplants. <laughs> Somebody this last week uh, said, what is up with all these northern transplants? I was like, I don't know, you know. I didn't, wouldn't dare going to tell them I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> I said, are you from around here originally? No, I'm from Charlotte. And I'm like, you can't complain then. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But it comes down to geography. They don't sound like us. And, you know, the north and the south is different. And sometimes it's geography as in across the pond. Maybe it's California. Maybe it's what? Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Great Britain, Iraq or Iran, Mexico. And so geography sometimes becomes that barrier. You automatically put people in certain categories based on where they come from. The other one was this. Maybe it just comes down to race. Maybe it comes down to the fact that, you know what, the person looks different than I do. Their skin tone is a little bit different. In other words, they don't look like me, so I, I have a hard time identifying with cultural things. And even though we're all maybe one nation, maybe we're all Americans, maybe we've all grown up even in the same geography, there's something. I don't understand cultural nuances. I don't understand certain things. And so we kind of divide out based on race. And it's hard sometimes to walk across that and extend grace or help or love. Not because I hate, just because I don't understand, I don't identify. And then I thought, well, maybe there's a third one. Maybe the third category is just it's social class based on economics, right? Socioeconomics, it's this concept where one's value is assigned 
Maybe I somehow, <laughs> I determine deserving dignity based on what you have accumulated. And so I begin to look and go, well, you have accumulated less than I've accumulated, and there's probably a reason for that. If you'd only what, and we say these little things in the back of our mind, if you'd only get a job or work harder, show up on time, be responsible, you know, like we're always those things, right? And so we begin to, again, create these moments where there's opportunities to help, but you look and go, well, help comes to those who help themselves. And so it becomes this chasm that's hard to, to kind of get across sometimes because we look at economics, we look at social class based on those things, and then there's a fourth one. And all of these kind of weave in and out of each other. Maybe it just comes down to who you worship. And that's a real big deal for us Christians. It comes down to the way we worship. Their religion or the way they worship doesn't match ours. And so all of a sudden, I find it very difficult to extend love, to extend fellowship, to extend help, to extend grace. Because their God might be different than ours or they don't see him the same way we see it and they don't do it the same way we do it and they don't value it the same way we value it. And I thought, you know, in all the division that I know of and in all the areas or moments that I find it hard or I see other people struggling to extend grace, it usually comes down to one of those four things. It comes down to geography, race, social class, or worship. It comes down to these things that in order for us to really be able to extend grace, we've got to get over these things. We've got to jump these hurdles. We've got to get past the barriers. We're going to put on some t-shirts. So Paul has been guiding us toward how to do this in this crazy world, a world that's different than ours, a world that just comes at us fast and furious, and a world that, you know what, we don't even know what to think day to day, minute to minute, in this crazy, spinning, chaotic world of all different kinds of things in this melting pot. Paul's been guiding us on how to live out this grace, this crazy grace, and he does it by using an old letter that he wrote to a church that was in a very similar culture to ours. And he says right out of the gate in chapter 1, he says, in order for you to be able to begin to get over some of these barriers, whatever it is, whether you want to be a, a fully admit to it or whether you're aware of it, he said there are going to be barriers that come along. And what you've got to understand that the basis of this is this. You've got to understand that God is crazy grace. That God is crazy grace. It's not just something that, that we talk about at church. It's not something that we hope for. No, it, it, it's an encounter. It's God is crazy grace. And then what we see is he moves us. Paul reminds them that through Jesus, this crazy grace that is God is extended to you through Jesus. And he says, you've taken on a new identity. You've become saints. You're now partners. And it's the cross that gives you the power to do these things. Things that you can't do on your own. Sanctification and justification. These churchy words that just means that God did something for you through Jesus, through the cross that you couldn't do for yourself. And then he introduces this concept in around chapter 8. He begins to introduce this concept that now there's this collective body there's the church. And it's not just a, a dwelling place for God's spirit. See, they knew church is like the temple or a place that you go to experience the spiritual. He says, no, no, no. The church is us. And so now that us, we are the active representation 
of his grace. We are the ones that are going to make God's dream, this dream of bringing heaven to earth, this dream of loving people, people who are difficult and different. He says this dream of making disciples, changing and transforming people's lives. He says, I'm going to do kind of the growing, but you get to have an active part of this. You get to be the waterers and the planters and the weeders and all the, you get to, to be active in this. He said, it's you. The reality is that it comes down to you. So we kind of get into this chapter 9, which again is just a continuation of the letter. And I love this. It's one of my favorite texts because he opens up some things. Some things that, in my opinion, brings real freedom and real joy to our walk with Jesus. But before we get to it, I want to couch a question. I want to center us around a question. And I want this question to be the question that not just guides us through the next few minutes, but guides the rest of your afternoon, that guides your Monday morning, that guides the next week at work or at school, that guides... You into restaurants, neighborhoods, your home. And here's the question. What does grace require of me? As I begin to look, navigate certain relationships, situations, encounters, what in this moment, what does grace require of me? In the cubicle beside me, what will grace require of you in the morning? What will grace require? require in order to extend it to others, people who, again, are difficult and different. What, what will love, what will grace require of me for someone who's needing help? What will grace require of you when you begin down that road of, well, I would, but, or maybe if they would, what will grace require of you in order to extend help? When someone who doesn't know Jesus begins to maybe even kind of poke and prod, mock, or say some negative things. What is grace in that moment going to require of you when they don't see it the way you see it? What will grace require of you when someone opposes your views? Your world views, your political views, your views of people and what should be done, your, your policy views, your views. In those moments, what will grace require of you? In the moments when someone is going to take what you have they're going to need something you have, and they're going to ask you for it, and you know on the back end there's zero chance that it's ever going to be given back to me. It's never going to be repaid. It may not even be thanked. What will grace require of you when there's zero chance that you'll get it back? What will grace require of me? And these were the same questions they were asking. It's the same questions that Jesus got. And Paul answers that. In chapter 9, which again is just a part of a big letter that he wrote to these people in Corinth, here's what he says. Though I am free and belong to no one. We get right there and we go, I can relate. I'm American. I'm free and I belong to no one. And we, what, shoot finger pistols and do all the stuff that we do. We get this, right? It's, I told you, it's almost like he's writing us. It's in this moment where he says, listen, I know your culture. But listen to what he says. I have made myself a slave to everyone. You go, whoa, 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 hold up. See, this is jarring right out of the gate. Because you go, I'm free, doggone it. I don't belong to anyone. But Paul says, but I made, I made a choice. That I'm going to become slave 
That's a big word, but he said, I want to become a servant. I want to become a person that, that doesn't use my freedom, my not belonging to anyone, for just myself. And so he says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself a slave. I'm going to make myself a servant to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. He goes on, to the Jews, I became like Jews to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself, I'm not under the law. As to win those under the law. To those who, not having the law, I became like ones not having the law. Although I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. What does grace require of me? And Paul says it requires everything. Paul says grace requires anything and everything. Paul says in any moment, if you want to know what being a, a representative of crazy grace is going to look like, it's going to look like and it's going to require everything, anything, all the time, to all people. It's going to require that you sit down in the passenger seat and put on the t-shirt. It's going to require these moments where, as Craig Rochelle describes these things at Life Church, he says that we're going to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. And Paul says, I'm going to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to, to share in moment, to share life. To, to, I'm going to do anything I can to be relational, to have impact. And, and I'm going to do anything I can to extend help and to be grace. Paul says, listen, it's going to require me to chant so hell to West Virginia hell. It's going to require me to get crazy and learn about West Virginia football and put on the shirts. He says, it's everything. Now let's be honest, this is not the norm. It's different. And if we go back in the Gospels, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Gospels are simply the telling of Jesus' ministry and life. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you go back and look, what you see is that this is not like most of the interactions that Jesus has. But it's also not like me a lot of times. See, Jesus encounters several people. He encounters several groups Guys like a, a young rich man called the young rich ruler. He has this conversation and this guy comes and says, hey, what's it going to require for me to get into heaven? I think of stories that he tells to religious people like the Good Samaritan. I could go on and on with this, but here's what he says. These, these stories were geared around a question that they were, they were asking. Jesus, what's the least I'm required to do in order to be a card-carrying, benefit-receiving member who has ensured salvation. Jesus, what's the least I can get by with? Jesus, I, 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 listen, i got to be honest. I want heaven man, because I, I, I don't want the alternative. I want heaven. And by the way, I want some benefits on earth. I want some good things to come my way. 
And I'm not really concerned about getting the max reward. I just want to know, how do I get in by the skin of my teeth? I'm okay with kind of the last seat in the house. I'm really busy. i got a busy schedule. I don't want to shake up and change too much. So tell me, what is the minimum I've got to change? What's the least I've got to do in order to fit into the category where you look and go, oh, yeah, he's one of mine. His disciples did this. Groups of people did this. Religious people wanted to know. Rich, and po- they all wanted to know Jesus. We, we love, we love what you're talking about, man, this grace and love, and all. but what's the least I can get away with? Jesus tells the rich young guy, he says, well, go and just sell all you have and give to the poor, and he goes, no, I can't do that, that's too much. Well, maybe, maybe you didn't hear the question, what's the least? Can I give 10%? No. Paul says, listen, Paul, this follower of Jesus, this imitator of Jesus comes in and says, who cares about the minimum? I'm all in. And he says, if you really want to begin to shake things up, you want to begin to transform the crazy world that Chris talked about, you want to begin to really make a dent in darkness. You want to begin to transform homes, workplaces, communities, and cities. He said, don't ask the question, what's the minimum? He says, no, what's, what's, what's the max I can do? I'm going to be all things to all people. Why? So that I can save someone. He says there's nothing off limits. This is opposite of the norm. He says when it comes to influencing and being gracious to those in need, when it comes to introducing people to the hope, love, mercy, forgiveness of Jesus, all these things that Jesus comes to offer, a broken world, he says when it comes to that, nothing's off limits. I'm going to explore everything. I'm going to do everything I can. He said, so it's never about how little can I do, it's how much can I do. How many t-shirts do I got to wear? Because if it means wearing a West Virginia t-shirt this week and a UT shirt next week, I'll do both. I'm in. And it's not because I, (laughs) I love either. It's because I love you. I'm in love with Jesus who loves you. I'm in love with a God who has created you in his image. I love you. And so you tell me, what do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? What do you want to talk about? Because I'm all ears. I'm here for you. And it's not even about completely stepping into and, and, and just you know, taking on everything and condone. No, he's saying, listen, I'm willing to, to sit down and begin to navigate and show interest in you so that we can develop a relationship that's going to be built on trust. So he provides some examples. And I want you to notice something. See, I didn't pull the top four things out of the hat. All four things of these show up in here. So listen to what he says right out of the gate. He says, let me, let, me, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Yes, I'm free and I don't belong to anyone, but I'm telling you, I'm going to become a slave in order to reach some people. I'm going to become a servant to all people. And then he says, to the Jews, I became like Jews. Why? To win Jews. To those under the law, and he kind of describes what that looks like. And then verse 20, he says, for those not having the law, he's talking about Gentile people here. Anyone not a Jew. I became like the ones not having the law in order to do what? To win someone who is under the law. Here's what you see in that. I see geography, race, class, and worship. And he says, I'm not worried about those things. Ah, We'll get there and we'll have some conversations maybe. But he said, I'm not worried about those things on the front end. This was huge. He's speaking of Jews and Gentiles, and he says, I'm interested in both. 
I'm going to walk into the room and get to know everyone. And these differences were massive. See, what you need to know is that in this world, in this time, the Jewish people would look at Gentiles and go, not only are you not worthy, you're not welcome. You're not welcomed. There was a difference in the clothing they wore. There was a difference in the holidays they observed. There was a difference in their religious beliefs. There was a different God view. There was a different world view. Their lifestyles and values didn't match. In fact, it was so drastic that what Paul does here is actually really dangerous. Paul could have really danced with the wrong side at the wrong time, and this could have cost him his life. And Paul says, that's okay. Even though you people don't mix well, I'm going to mix with both. And the reason being is this crazy grace requires me to do some pretty crazy things. And Paul says, listen, I'm all in. I'm all in. He says, when you want to help others, it it, it will, not might, it will require you to become interested in them, to give an ear, to sit down and not immediately try to transform them into what you are, but to listen to who they are, to find these common places. And even if they're not immediately interested in you, he says, no, you keep trying to identify, find something equal, find some common ground, find some level on you that you can become interested in them. And guys, can I just say, this is so Jesus. Paul's not a pioneer of this. I'm not a pioneer of this. Think about this. Jesus, who is divine. Jesus who is God. Jesus who existed at the right hand of God. Jesus in the heavenly realms looks down and sees a desperate people that has no way out. Now get this. Jesus only did what Paul talks about. What does he do? He comes down and becomes flesh. Takes on human likeness takes on human form. says that he was not only fully divine, but he was fully human, meaning he woke up with headaches. He experienced down days, peaks and valleys. Jesus, fully divine, comes, takes on full flesh, fully human. And he says, listen, why am I doing this? So that I can identify with you. So that I can, what? Show interest in you. Because I understand that if I don't do that, I ultimately can't save you. So he comes and and he dwells among us. And then once he's here, look what he does. He makes every effort to reach everyone. In fact, it's so drastic, it's to the point that he's labeled a friend of people that he shouldn't even be friends with. Yeah, he hangs out in some churches and he's teaching these astonishing lessons from the Old Testament. And they're going, wow, this guy really knows he must be something special. And he's like, you think? But he's also in these places that are dark corners of the streets and they're dark alleys and they're places that good people don't go. And he's not just going in there and knocking on doors and can I give you a church track because we would love to have you down at the next temple service. No, he goes, can I eat? Let's go, let's go, let's go grab a bite. How's life? What's going on? Let's talk about the kids. He's interacting and he's showing. He says, listen, I didn't come to just help those who are healthy. I came to, for the sick. See, Paul's just trying to be like Jesus, and he's telling the people in Corinth, he's telling us, just try to be like Jesus. And in order to do that, you've got to find something to identify with. 
And then he rounds this off. He kind of gives one more example. He says, oh, and by the way, to the weak, I became like the weak so that I can win the weak. He says, if I'm going to influence and impact people, not only does it make sense to minister to those who are on different sides of the track, race, and geography, but it's also about this emptying myself of pride. It's emptying myself of ego. I mean, let's face it. No one sets a goal list and goes, you know what? You know what my top three goal is? To be weak. Man, I want to get a pay raise. I want my kids to act right. And I want to become weak. I mean, I want to be so weak that people just run off. Weakness is my goal. None of us go to the gym and, you know, Put five pounds on and somebody's like, dude, you're a big guy to be lifting, you know, lifting like a 40-pound bar. And I'm like, just want to be weak. I mean, what are you doing here then? Just, just want to be weak. And my wife tells me I got to work out, so here I am, you know. Just want to be weak. Nobody wants to be weak. I mean, we live in a world where it's all about looking good. We live in a world that's about filters and being top dogs. And here's a word. It's about winning. I don't want to be weak. I want to be a winner. So I don't care who I got to step on, who I got to turn a blind eye to. I don't care what I've got to do, but I want to be on the winning side. I want to be a winner. He says, no, no, no. To the weak, I become weak. See, I empty myself of pride. This statement is a complete abandonment of self. Of ego. Oh, you're weak. You're downtrodden. You're beaten. You're broken. You're hurting. Let me come down and sit with you. Yeah, but you got places to go. I mean, you're in a good place in life. I mean, you got. No, it's okay. In this moment, I sit with you in your weakness. In this moment, it's not about where I've got to be or what I've got to achieve and what I've got to do. It's about you. So to the weak, I become weak. And as we land, here's what I want us to consider. See, this is not a complex lesson that Paul teaches here. It's just Jesus. So what I want us to consider today in our lives, in our circles, in our worldview, our journey, I just want us to consider one word, connection. See, what this comes down to is learning to connect. So what I want you to take with you this week is this. How is it that I can begin to connect through similarity? You look at someone that maybe is difficult, someone that's different, and go, okay, how do I begin to connect versus similarity? Not how do I begin to immediately change them to look like me, because once they look like me, then I'll enjoy them. Then it's easy. No, how do I begin to connect without requiring anything of them in the moment? How can I begin to connect with someone who's different by finding a similarity? And you'll find it. It may be around a food. It may be around a drink. It may be around some sort of sporting team. It may be around interest in where they come from and what they do or their kids or whatever it is. You seek similarity. Begin to find those connections because here's what will happen is that similarity opens the door to sharing. See, when I find something that we're, we have in common, then we begin to share about that. 
And before you know it, you've shared with me, and I go, yeah, you know, that kind of reminds me, man. Let me tell you about something in my life that's kind of, you know, kind of the same. It's not the same, but it's kind of the same. And we begin to, to share. We begin to open up. We begin to have dialogue. We begin to have conversation. And what happens with that is that breeds trust. Oh, I kind of like this guy. He showed interest in me. Man, I didn't know we had that in common. I thought we were completely different. No, oh, man, I'm human like you are. And that, that begins to breed trust, and then trust begins to breed influence. Let's do this again. It's kind of like hanging out with you. And influence begins to change lives. And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 22, he says, I become all things to all people so that what? I may by all possible means save some. I always wondered why Paul changed his name. Isn't that kind of weird? This guy's, I don't know, early 20s or something. He's been known as Saul all his life has this encounter with Jesus. And I used to think it was because he didn't want people to know where he came from. And that's partially true. Saul is a Jewish name. If you trace it back, you remember King Saul? So Saul would have been a Jewish name that that families would have been honored to name their kids for generations. See, he knew, though, if I keep this name Saul... Everybody's going to know and automatically go to the place that you are a Jew. So Paul says, you know what? I'm going to take this so serious that I'm going to change my name. I'm going to change it to a common name, be Paul. So when I walk into the Jewish people, they don't know I'm Jewish. When I walk into the Gentile people, they don't know I'm Jewish, that that's my heritage. I'm just Paul. Oh, really? Paul's kind of a weird name. We've never really heard that name. Yep. How you doing? I'm Paul. See, Paul provided connectivity based on similarity. And so as a result of this, he begins to walk into cultures, all kinds of cultures. He wears similar clothing. He speaks similar languages. He takes time to ask about their culture and their religion. Get that. He even asked about their religion. No strings attached. Just tell me about what it is you believe in. He lived like they did. He ate like they ate. He drank like they drank. Why? Because he wanted to influence someone in the name of Jesus. He respected who they were. He honored where they came from in order to hopefully have influence on where they were going. And he extended grace, and that grace changed lives in the name of Jesus. And so that's what I want to do. You know, when people ask me, like, you know, you're not like the normal preacher. You're not like the normal pastor. You're not like the normal. I'm going, I know. I used to be Saul. Paul's such a better way to live. And it's not that I'm trying to keep anything hidden. No, it's because I want to make connection based on similarities. And that's the kind of church that we want to continue to be. We want to find these pockets of places that we can share common things, similarities, making impact. So what can I do this week to begin to share common ground with someone? Guys, when you live this way, you begin to really make an impact beyond the moment. I had an interesting situation, and I'm going to end with this. A couple weeks ago, I had a late lunch, and I didn't want anything too heavy because I knew we were going to be eating in just a few hours, but I was kind of hungry, so I went through Arby's because they have the meats. So I go through Arby's over in Rivergate and order just a Regular roast beef sandwich, no fries, nothing else. And the lady's like, all right, do you want fries or drink? I was like, no, just the roast beef sandwich. 
You don't want any drink or fries? No, I just want the roast beef sandwich. You sure you don't? No, I just want the roast beef sandwich. <laughs> so I pull around. She opens the window. You sure you don't? No, I just want the roast beef sandwich. And then she stops. I hand her my card. And she stops. She goes, I know you. And I thought, oh, goodness. What have I done? Like, you know what? And she's, she's a black lady. And, and so, I, you know, there's, I'm going to where, you know, where, you know, Skate Center, you know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm brainstorming as she's brainstorming. And we have this really awkward moment where she sticks her head out that little window and she's just doing this. <laughs> I'm talking like 45 seconds goes by. <laughs> Seems like an eternity. You, the guy at Walmart, be helping people at Christmas. I went, <laughs> what? She goes, yep, you, the guy at Walmart. I told you I don't forget a face. And so I introduced myself. I said, yeah, I said, I go to Wellhouse Church and we do that. And she goes, you don't look like a preacher. She goes, but I know you care about people because you be at Walmart helping people. You helped a neighbor of mine. I'm so thankful for that. You made their Christmas. See, when we become all things to all people, we extend help in places that we don't even understand, fully identify with, know about. When we just take the time to stop and listen and walk with people and shop with people and put on their t-shirt, God takes those moments. See, those are what Paul talked about last. Those are seed moments and watering moments. God takes those moments and he grows them into what only he can. So this week, how can you find common ground with someone? How can you begin to go, you know, listen, I don't understand it, but you don't need to in order to be crazy grace. Just be in the moment. Share. Be thankful. It's not about winning. That is. But it's about winning for him. So find a West Virginia t-shirt to put on this week.